As you see from the bulletin this morning, the passage of Scripture this morning is the entire book of Philemon. I think it's a fair guess to say that not many of you have a favorite verse from the book of Philemon. I found an article called 100 Scripture Verses to Memorize, an essential list. And not a single verse from Philemon made the list. Romans, a book we looked at last week, had 23 of the 100. Talking to Beth, our organist, when looking for music for this service, she could not find a single song that was cross-referenced with Philemon. (laughs) One thing that stands out immediately when you find the letter of Philemon in your Bible, it's right after Titus and before Hebrews, is that it's only one chapter, very short. Only 335 335 words in its original language. Only 2nd and 3rd John are shorter. It's Paul's shortest book. Before I read this letter, a little background is helpful, particularly regarding slavery in the ancient world. The slavery in this country does not help us in this understanding. Slavery in the Roman Empire was not racial. Yes, slaves were viewed as property, yet there is evidence that people sold themselves into slavery, purchased slaves for themselves, earned wages, and could buy their way out of slavery. Slaves could come from many backgrounds. There were slaves that were doctors, philosophers, and even government officials. If a person wanted Roman citizenship, they could become a slave to to a Roman and then gain Roman citizenship. Slavery was not a racial matter. Rather, it was a means to get manual labor done. It was an economic system. While slavery could be, it wasn't typically a cruel and abusive system. Yet at times it was, and slaves were still subject to the slave owner. And if the slave was disobedient, it was the slave owner that determined the punishment, even up to death, and not the judicial system. Slavery was very widespread. There are estimates that 30 to 40% of all adults in the Roman Empire were slaves. This sheds a lot of light on the letter to Philemon. Here is what we know about the three main characters in this letter. First, Paul, who wrote the letter, is in chains, a prisoner probably in Rome under house arrest. The second person is Philemon, to whom the letter is written, and is thus named. And he owns a home which the church in Colossae meets. Yes, they are the Colossians of another of Paul's letters. Paul's letter to the Colossians and to Philemon went to the same place and were hand-delivered to Philemon by Tychicus and Onesimus, which we read in Colossians 4, 7, and 8. Philemon is very clearly a person of means because he owns a home big enough to host the entire church and he owned at least one slave and probably more. The slave that we know about is the unlikely star of the letter, Onesimus. In his past, Onesimus was a slave under Philemon. For some reason, Onesimus separated from Philemon. He most likely stole some money and then ran away. 
We do not know how or why it happened. Onesimus had been living in the house that hosted the Colossian church, but apparently he was not a believer or a participant in the church because Paul takes credit for leading Onesimus to Christ. In any case, Onesimus left, escaped, or was kicked out, he, and somewhere he got away and he traveled a long distance. Paul most likely was imprisoned in Rome, and a straight line between Colossae and Rome is roughly 1,000 miles, the same distance that Seattle is from Los Angeles. But the trip is even longer because Colossae and Rome have the Aegean Sea, Greece, and the Adriatic Sea between them. Onesimus had a long way to go for a slave with no possessions, no modern convenience of travel, and anything he might have had, including money, most likely was stolen. We don't now know how he got to Paul, and if Onesimus even set out to find Paul, or if he just happened to run into Paul. There are a lot of questions. Did an associate of Paul find Onesimus? Was Onesimus thrown into the same prison as Paul? Onesimus had virtually nothing, and probably no one was going to help him on this journey. And as a slave, it was possible that Onesimus had some kind of marking or branding on his body. And if abject poverty and appearance weren't enough, a brand would have made it extremely clear that he was a displaced slave. Who was going to help him? What was he hoping to find? In what condition would Paul eventually find Onesimus? Yet Paul must have shared the gospel with him. Paul led him to Christ, put him to work in some capacity, helping him grow in the Lord. Paul and Onesimus became very close, and Onesimus must have shared his story with Paul and how he got to Rome and where he came from. At some point, Paul makes a decision to send Onesimus back to Philemon for some unfinished kingdom business, which understandably would have made Onesimus a little nervous. The day came when Paul said words somewhat like this to Onesimus, which must have struck trepidation in his heart. I know it would have mine. You have to go back and submit yourself to Philemon. Ask for his forgiveness. Make amends for all you did. Runaway slaves in that day were treated with swift and consummate harshness. The whole fabric of ancient life rested on slavery and extreme measures were taken to put it down event, put it down any kind of rebellion. Therefore, Onesimus could well have argued with Paul that Paul really must not have cared about him by asking him to risk such a terrible fate. Yet Paul knew that this is what had to be done. No one is ever free for the future until one has honestly and openly faced up to the past. And so Paul pens his letter to the Colossians and to Philemon and possibly to the Ephesians, and he sends Onesimus out with Tychicus, who would deliver the letters and read them publicly to the churches. And this is how I imagine this played out. Tychicus knocks on Philemon's door. Philemon comes to the front, opens the door, and sees Tychicus. With Onesimus standing beside, or maybe even a little behind, Tychicus. And Tychicus announces that they are there with letters from the Apostle Paul. 
you would have been able to feel the tension. And what happened next was this letter, which we will now, as Philemon was read, like was read in the church of Colossae, we are going to read now here today. Here is God's word to us. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia and our sister, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that, I, that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done anything to wrong you or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Ephorus, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aratarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Honestly, every time I read this letter, 
I wonder how in the world did it end up in the Bible. It is obviously a very personal letter and it shows us a little more about the three main figures, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Yet what was so important and life-changing to the early church that it was considered holy scripture? We will get to that question. Yet there are other truths to be gained, and so we're going to study this letter and this story in several parts. First, there are many applications to study and learn. First, the letter to Philemon is a brilliant affirmation of Christian ethics. Both Paul and Philemon, both Paul and Onesimus were convinced that the right thing to do was for the latter return to the master, making right earlier wrongs. For these godly men, the issue was not what is the safest thing to do, nor what is the best for us. Rather, it was what is the right thing to do. This is character. This document is a tremendous tribute to courage. Onesimus was a relatively recent convert, but his passion was doing, was doing right was tremendous. Consider the fact that the owner of a slave had complete control over his property. There is nothing to say that Philemon ever treated his slaves cruelly, but Onesimus truly did not know how he would be treated. I am sure he would have preferred to have just stayed with Paul as he was doing. But by returning, Onesimus was showing tremendous bravery. This epistle is a thrilling affirmation of the reality that the providence of God may be working in circumstances in which we have not dreamed. Paul cautions Philemon that perhaps Onesimus was separated from you for a season that you might have him forever. While the apostle could not say for certain that God had orchestrated the events that so wonderfully worked out for him and for Onesimus, the situation appeared to have defined fingerprints all over it. The phrase was separated, hints at an action initiated by someone other than the runaway slave himself. Theologians suggest that the agent implied by this phrase is God. How heaven is able to orchestrate human events while honoring freedom of choice is a mystery that no person can fully fathom. But it happens. It happens every day. This beautiful letter is a masterful example of the art of gentle persuasion. As opposed to the stiff force of authority, Paul does not wish to flex his apostolic muscle. He does intend to nudge. Philemon in the right direction. So if you consider me your partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Martin Luther once wrote, even as Christ did for us with God the Father, thus Paul does for Onesimus with Philemon. There's a beautiful gospel parallel here in the book of Philemon. Paul is a picture of Jesus Christ. 
who carefully pleads our case before the Heavenly Father. That is Philemon. We are Onesimus, the rebellious one, who is no longer useful because of our sinfulness. But Christ says that we are useful, not because of anything that we have done to be deserved taken back, but because Christ's own reputation. In his letter to Philemon says in verse 18, whatever he's done against you, charge it to me. That's what Jesus did for us at Calvary. He said to the Father, give me their sin. Whatever they did against you, charge it to me. I'm ready. That's what enables us to return home and be useful once again. But we must return home with letter in hand signed by Christ to be useful to the Father. That's the very definition of being a Christian. And then our restoration with God should affect our relationship with others. C.S. Lewis wrote, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The letter to Philemon admonishes us all to remember the power of God to reach everyone. And the call of Christ is for all. And we all are involved in seeking the lost. In Colossians, we read that Onesimus was a native of Phygria. The slaves of Phygria had a particularly nasty reputation. In Onesimus, however, Paul saw not a worthless cause, but a potential servant of Christ. And he was not disappointed. The gospel can work its power in any heart, regardless of one's background. This little epistle packs a thrilling eschatological message. Eschatology is all about last things, eternal issues. Perhaps he was separated from you for a season that you might have him forever. The key word is forever. It implies that now that Onesimus is a Christian, a beloved brother, these two will enjoy an entirely different relationship with one another. That relationship is not merely one of time, but it is now one of eternity. Their recognition of each other will endure beyond this earth. Spiritual relationships are not destroyed by death. What a thrilling piece of evidence in the case for post-earthly recognition. The last lesson is a very subtle one, and the one I missed for many years. It has to do with the names of the people Paul mentioned at the end of the letter offering their greetings. Two of those, Demas and Mark, serve as contrasts. One provides a word of warning, the other a word of hope. As people who stumble in many ways, James 3.2, we need them both. In his closing, Paul mentions Mark. Years earlier, Mark had assisted Paul and Barnabas, Mark's cousin, on their first missionary journey. But for un some undisclosed reason, Mark deserted Paul during their trip, Acts 13.13. 13. Later, when Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along on the next missionary trip, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement, Acts 15.39. Paul didn't mark, want Mark to come along. So deep was their relational damage that Paul and Silas went in one direction and Mark and Barnabas went in the other direction. We're never told how it was resolved, 
But thanks to this, the shortest of Paul's letters, we know that it was resolved. Paul lists Mark as one of his friends and gospel partners. Paul and Mark have done what Paul desires Philemon and Onesimus to do. This little encouragement tucked away in this letter is that Christians of goodwill can have painful separation and unresolved conflict. And yet the end of the story hasn't been written. Perhaps there are former friends or family who have deeply hurt you and you don't have the sort of reconciliation that would make things right and rebuild trust. The example of Paul and Mark suggests that though it may take years, God plays the long game. No relationship is irrevocably beyond his repair. The other name mentioned is Demas. Four or five years earlier, during an earlier imprisonment, Paul refers to Demas as a fellow worker in the gospel, Colossians 4, 14. Here in Philemon, he is also listed as a fellow worker. He is a person that Paul knew was there in kingdom battle. Yet the last word by Paul about Demas are from 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. So the warning is this, which we find in 1 Peter. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Our enemy is very real and very clever. He threatens and seduces, and even those who start strong and are leaders like Demas are susceptible to his deception. Mark, on the other hand, gives us hope. He had a weak start, but he, did, he didn't appear to have the right stuff. He disappointed his leaders and friends by leaving them to bear the heat of the battle when he went home. But Mark ended well at some point he rejoined the battle and proved a faithful trustful and useful warrior and if tradition is correct the lord even used him to contribute a gospel of his name to the new testament so there's much to be found in the short 25 verse letter penned by paul yet at the end of the letter we don't know what happened there is no added verses to tell us what Philemon does. We do not know how Onesimus is treated. Did Philemon do what Paul asked? There is no Philemon 2, which completes the story. Yet the very fact that this letter is in the Bible is incredible proof that what Paul was asking must have become reality. If not, it would not have survived. We would not still be reading it today. The tradition is that Philemon not only treated Onesimus as a brother in Christ and forgave him, he sent him, he set him free and sent him back to the imprisoned Paul who so clearly said he was useful. By the way, useful is the exact definition of what Onesimus means. So he would be by his side again. The tradition is that Onesimus became one of Paul's most trusted and valuable associates. The reason for believing this is that 50 years after Paul's letter to Philemon, 
the bishop of Antioch named Ignatius wrote a letter to the bishop of Ephesus, a letter that still exists, exists to this day, and the name of that bishop is none other than Onesimus. This letter of Paul to Philemon was confirmation that this new way of life in Christ was life-changing for those gathered in his name. It does, it did, and it will make a difference. This letter is confirmation, absolute proof that the words of Paul to the Galatians are real. In Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, as you are all one in Christ Jesus. When placed beside the letter of Philemon, and his former slave Onesimus, these words pop with new meaning. The church could point to this letter and the changed lives witness that we read in Galatians are not meant to be limited to a future heavenly state. The church in Colossae knew firsthand that the slave and the free are one in Christ Jesus. In the lives of Philemon and Onesimus, the church near Corinth knew firsthand that male and female are one in Christ as Phoebe was their deacon, the same title that Paul gave to Timothy, as did the church in Rome. Paul called Unia an apostle, the same title he most often called himself. Cornelius the centurion, possibly the first Gentile to convert to Christianity, was proof that Gentiles or Jews are one in Christ. By the way, he also became a bishop of the early church. That's another story for another day. All of these examples are living proof that social barriers, the cultural barriers that define us, are not the standards by which we as the church, as God people, should ever use to define each other. Paul did not say to the Onesimus, your service to Christ is limited because you are a slave. Philemon and the church at Colossae discerned the fruits of his spirit and the call of God in Onesimus' life, and he served the church at the highest levels. It is my belief that we, when we as the body of Christ restrict and limit Christ's call on people's lives based on social and cultural standards, the church suffers greatly. Onesimus knew this. His life was so changed by Christ and how Paul and Philemon brought him into the church, he wanted everyone to know his story. He most likely was the most instrumental person who fought for this letter to be included in the Bible. As the bishop of Ephesus, he was the key person who gathered the letters of Paul, stressing the importance of each of them for the life of the church. He wanted all to know his story, not because he wanted people to know about him. He wanted all to know that Christ changes everything. 